For you, the listeners of my JavaScript story, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Orta Therox. Orta, do you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. How's it all going? It's going well, man. What was that? I don't know if they can respond. That's true. (laughs) That is very true. So, yeah, we've had you on uh, JavaScript Jabber. I think we talked about DangerJS. Yeah. Uh, Also on Ruby. Yeah, on the Ruby version of JS, I think, as well. Yeah. Wait, the Ruby version of Danger 2. Yeah. Did we have you on Ruby Rose? Yep. Yeah, I'm having trouble finding that one. But anyway. All right. So, yeah, so we talked about continuous integration and Danger JS and all that good stuff. Do you want to give us just a brief introduction? You've done a lot of interesting things. You worked on CocoaPods, you worked on a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So I'm a native engineer that generally believes that the right way to build systems is to understand as many of those systems as possible. So I will historically try and build as many dev tools as possible or improve them. So I, I work predominantly at a company called Artsy where we make and sell fine art. We make it easy to buy and sell fine art on the internet and mostly do iOS programming there. And so we ended up building a lot of like kind of core infrastructure tooling for a lot of companies, uh, ranging from like you know the equivalent of .env for iOS or the um, well, a dependency manager is something that like two of us here at Artsy have basically built off and on with a collection of a lot of other people, obviously, uh, for like the last six years in CocoaPods, and it's like. You know, I want to build my native apps, so I have to build a Ruby dependency manager in order to get like open source <laughs> community to actually exist. And I focused on a lot of different things throughout the, the eras. Like one of my first biggest gripes was a lack of documentation. And people that have a Ruby background will know something called RubyDoc that basically documents every single Ruby library out there. Yep. And so I initially built the equivalent for, for native projects as well and built that into CocoaPods itself. So it was just like you ship some code, then it automatically gets documented. And that kind of process then eventually led to me building like something that's kind of unique to CocoaPods. The the search engine is based on like quality metrics. So it would use like sort of deep analysis of the code to try and say like, you know, every single file in this is short. You know, there's no files over a hundred lines of code or you know, every file has like good documentation in it. And so it would use those to sort of actually provide genuinely useful quality metrics on the search. 
which is something you can only really do on a small contained community. It'd be much harder to try and pull it off on something like NPM scale. And then I kind of we we kind of had enough trouble building native apps at Artsy in the sense of like tooling is hard and closed source. Apple will kind of deprecate your projects once they get big enough. And it was just hard to like build the sort of apps that we wanted to build. So we ended up moving to React Native. And that's really where my sort of reintroduction to JavaScript outside of, you know, just using jQuery here and there really started to kind of flourish. Right, that makes sense. I think most of the stuff I've seen from you more recently has been about React and React Native. Yeah, like a lot of that's, I think the interesting thing here is that we ended up with a, like we had a, so I used to run the iOS team at Artsy and it was four or five engineers. We had a completely unique team culture in the rest of the company. We were like the only people that knew this this particular subset of, of skills. We had our own like team meetings. We had our own like repos and no one else really needed to interact with us any further than like us being an API client. So it was like treat almost like a, a smaller company inside the main company. And it was React Native that kind of took that and sort of split us out into being just yet another aspect of the same, uh, the rest of the teams. So we were kind of like small minority and now we're part of like a large majority of people doing front end development. So the sort of domain in which, you know, I feel like I should be building tools has kind of switched from this kind of hyper-focused native apps, maybe we can make some work to, you know, we need to build this tooling that will work across native and web. And then all of the tools are in JavaScript too. So we have like three different avenues of actually trying to work on some open source projects in the sense of, you know, I want to make sure that Jest is a better tooling library. Uh, I want to make sure that Webpack continues to work in for our, our use cases. And I also want to be building like web apps and React Native apps in a consistent way across both so that we can have engineers feel comfortable on both. Very cool. Well, I'm going to rewind us just a bit. I'm really curious, how did you get into software development in the first place? Sure. I have like what I must consider to be one of the most stereotypical like stories. Like when I was younger, I used to play video games. I looked at video games and was like, huh, maybe if I use some of these like kind of click and play toolkits, I could maybe start making my own games. I got to those and then eventually just said, oh, this is not powerful enough. And then started learning bits and bits and then eventually let's see. And because uh, that's what game programming is done in, obviously. And then eventually I realized that I didn't actually enjoy making the game but I much rather enjoyed making the tools for making the game. And so that ended up moving me into sort of application development in general. I found it much more kind of compelling because sometimes I was the use, I was the like, I was both the author and the user of that system. It's not like, you know, I wouldn't get bored of it. Like I could in theory get bored of a game because, you know, the, the space for growth and the fact that so many other people could want to these kind of common tools meant that it was just very compelling to just keep going and not just building something that I needed, but start building things a lot of people needed. Right. Um, I remember sort of hitting this kind of apex of, of my ability to learn on my own using a few books and eventually starting realizing that a bunch of the sort of Mac apps that I was using on a day-to-day -day basis were open source. 
And so I started to you know, download the source code, read the commit messages, try and understand how people architect very like large projects. And so I like to I like to credit the like the open source community as being the place that took me from basically being a junior to being like just past a junior. And, <laughs> and I and I like to hope that like the stuff that I I build and help run at Artsy is also like things that people will be able to use in the same sense. Because it's nice that there's like, you know, where I live in New York City, where there's four or five big coding boot camps that can help people go from nothing to like solid level junior. But then there's like, you know, a lot of people that don't live anywhere near anywhere where they could go to a boot camp, but they may have a you know, a big online course. or right. follow, But like eventually an online course has to kind of stop and say like, you know, we've got you this far, you can go and investigate like, pure databases or some of a like app architecture thing but it's hard for them to really show you here's what it's like on an evolving code base on a day-to-day basis in a way that just like open source projects can do on a, on a large scale absolutely it's interesting so, too i mean you bring up open source most people that i talk to when they're talking about their journey into code it's you know the one corporate project or you know the people they were working with that kind of leveled them up. And so it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about reading other people's code and things like that. And I think it's an area that is often neglected in mm. people's education code. Yeah. I think like, and there's so many great resources. We, particularly in Artsy, we believe in this idea of open source by default, which means, you know, our front, anything on the front end is completely open source. So you can go look at our iOS apps, our React Native apps, our websites, and just be like, so what have they done in the last week? How do they? How do engineers communicate with each other? What does CI look like on a large project? Like, how do people argue about change? And you know, you can, we're really like it, very open about all this stuff. And I think uh, I think it really does provide a lot of rich context to people that are trying that just can't find it any other way. Right. And that's what makes me really proud about some of this stuff. Like, you know, I, I'm now. 10 years into being an engineer properly and pay, being paid to be an engineer. Right. And, uh, I think it's super valuable that uh, I can, you know, give back in such a way by having everything open source and being, being able to write blog posts that really talk to like the ways in which we interact and how like dev culture evolves. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah. So I know you've done some work in Ruby and some work in JavaScript. Let, let's start with Ruby. How did you get into Ruby? Uh, so my first job was is, is pretty esoteric, actually. It was moving to Brazil to work on a Ruby project that was a Mac app. So you had to have... Oh, interesting. Was it like Mac Ruby or something? Or? It was Mac Ruby, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like if you go if you Google for like Mac Ruby, there was basically two apps that got shipped with Mac Ruby, and I worked on one of them. Nice. And you know that was I was interested in Ruby as a programming language. I already had some Cocoa skills, so I could do Mac stuff. Right. And then like Mac Ruby is just like hard mode for Ruby and hard mode for Cocoa, and you just have to kind of know them both really well. I love it. <laughs> I know. And uh, it's like it's like when uh, when when I talk about iOS, I'm like, yeah, iOS is like easy mode for Mac software, but like, yeah, building a Mac Ruby app, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting problems where those two things didn't, didn't right. 
No, actually, sorry, it predates Mac Ruby. It's Ruby oh, really? Coco. Ruby Coco. Oh Mac wow. Ruby. We debated porting to Mac Ruby <laughs> when it first came out. Uh, so it's yeah, it was it was tricky stuff. Um, it was like you know trying to keep a Ruby process running and communicating uh-huh. with a Cocoa process at all times. Oh wow. It seems like that's more or less how uh, a lot of like the React Native and stuff works, right? It, yes, that's exactly it how it calls over the JavaScript bridge and does all that. Yep. So it's kind of funny to be sort of full circle now in that sense. Yeah. Um, but at least in this case, like you know, the the boundaries are very are very obvious in in uh, in React Native as opposed to Mac Ruby, but uh, sorry, Ruby Coco, where it was a bit more ambiguous. So uh, one thing that I'm curious about then is how did you get into React and React Native? So this was this one was it was a somewhat controversial move inside Artsy to to kind of decide that we had like. I'm going to basically abandon Apple's official tools for building apps. Mm-hmm. The, the general problem was we considered ourselves an absolutely unique team inside a small company. Right. So that was that wasn't generally great. We the biggest like problem was that we had less engineers than the web team, and we couldn't keep up at all. If you were trying to build something at the same sort of feature parity. You would either have to have two native engineers for one web engineer, or you just didn't ship that feature at all. Right. Uh, and we regularly tried to ship feature parity, which meant, you know, on iOS we were just constantly having to make hard decisions of what we could or couldn't do as an entire team. And we eventually just got to a point where we looked at our roadmap and just said we can't keep pace with the website. We gave that like six months, and eventually just said. We just don't think this is working for us. Right. So we explored. So th- this this is really odd because our app is not complicated. Uh-huh. Uh, it is if like when you would if you it is just like taking some data from the internet, presenting it as a set of UI screens and allowing people to sort of navigate between them. It's just right. you know like a general web browser, but you know kind of native instead. So it was kind of we we didn't get for a while why it was just not working for us. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, in retrospect, we started coming up with some ideas, but still it's really, like, I just don't think that the tools Apple builds are really great for the API-driven applications because right. the sort of apps that they're encouraging people to build with their tools are the sort of like, you know, on-client, does everything natively, mm-hmm. internally, doesn't have an external database. It's, right. And, you know, you can see this when you look at what they feature and what wins design awards and stuff like that. So, you know, the tool sets come with a very specific, like, aim in mind. And that was definitely not the problem domain that we were working with on a daily basis. So it felt like we were fighting a system, basically. And React Native, like, someone must have had that exact same debate inside Facebook and just said, well, on the website, they are built, they're using this, like, this React uh, which I guess must have been pretty pretty new even internally at that point, to like get rid of a lot of the the hard domain problems of presenting user interfaces, like the, the you know the the VDOM as a conceptual uh, idea is solid because it allows you to not care about what's on screen and allows React to sort of handle the reconciliation between what you want versus what is there. Right. And you know we looked at our code and there was a lot of that code going around in our native apps anyway and. We we sort of ran a three month 
like trial period for React Native. Mm-hmm. We built this like definitely more complicated than it needed to be for a prototype version of a of a sort of React Native idea, which is you know um, think about it as like we're going to build a node module that can be consumed by CocoaPods so that if we decide that React Native doesn't work for us, then it just takes one line in our sort of you know definition file to remove, and then suddenly there's no more React Native in our app. It was a great experiment, but it didn't work. And it ended up, you know, everyone that worked on that code base was just like, this is just so much, the abstraction is just correct. Mm-hmm. Like, we're only working on the business domain of taking some data from the internet and turning it onto something on a screen. And that for us was just such a powerful like idea that we would be working on much better abstractions for the problem domain versus the sort of the, the domain that native tools are, are sort of oriented towards. And so from there, we were just like, okay, so we are a set of native developers that are now building stuff in JavaScript, mm-hmm. which means <laughs> like we came in with such different expectations about how to build software that, um, you know, we're still having like the occasional culture conflict with engineers on the web that have been doing this for a long time in Artsy. Right. Because we are, <laughs> we, we must seem so obsessively conservative in comparison to them. <laughs> like we've been working on this React Native app for, for f- close to three years and we have two React Native dependencies in our entire app. Oh, like we really? have a, yeah, we have a few JavaScript ones, you know, like Lodash, uh, you know, the sort of things everyone uses. Right. But we just don't believe in using dependencies that other people are building in the React Native world. Right. Because, in part because, like, at the time, React Native was very, like, it was very, it was very regularly changing. And, you know, people are building these apps where they're probably not maintaining it forever, so they don't need to maintain their libraries forever uh, because React Native was still very new, so not very many people with, like, a long-term, like, dev perspective are are in that industry or in the community, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, no dependencies. And we built, like, all these tools for showing us how, like, you know, you introduce a new dependency, it will give you all this information, and you're meant to, like, tell people, this is exactly why I chose this. And, like, we managed to revert a bunch of adding new dependencies and just build it all ourselves. You know, we, we came in and looked at this node at the time and was just like, how can someone use, build software without a lock file? Right. And, like it took it took a month, but then Yard came out, and we were like, "That's it." Moved every single piece of software uh, that was node driven in Artsy to to Yarn and haven't really looked back since. There's the idea of like building type systems and all these like additional strict safeguards to our code bases that at the time our web engineers were doing like Backbone and coffee script right. and all these like ruby ruby like magical-ish tool mm-hmm. chains that rely on dynamic code and we were just coming in with like these pretty heavy setups that that make it very hard to go wrong yeah. um but also <laughs> mean a lot of upfront pain to get it up and started and understood so we sort of we gave on both sides uh our react native stack is now what we call the artsy omakase so it's like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, 
a lot of people ask us like, you know, what do you recommend if you're going to do React Native or, or React? And so we say it's like TypeScript, Style Components, Storybooks. Uh, there's a few more. And we kind of consolidated like a group, like what the what web people wanted, what native people wanted, and just built this same tool stack for both sides. And as someone that was trying to make sure that we were building like tools that could work consistently, I ended up working on all of them. And so I ended up joining a bunch of the core teams because we have a this kind of principle of owning your dependencies. So if you only have a set amount of dependencies and you think at the highest level these are the things you care about, then I want to make sure that the, the TypeScript is you know in a good state. And I want to be I want to be there for the Jest core team when they're trying to figure out hard issues. Um, and all of those communities are really like open and welcoming to people like conservative folk like we make native developers coming in and saying like, you know, maybe you should add a lock file. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So I found I found it really it was really gratifying to get started in JavaScript. Like, as as a, you know, it's a lot to learn. When when I discuss it with native devs, I describe it as like. Whereas in a native world, you would kind of be given this one package that says, here's all the stuff that you're going to need. And it's being you know, coordinated and consolidated by a massive dev team in Apple. Whereas in the JavaScript world, you're going to be like, okay, so this is a buffet. And I'm going to pick like this, 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 and this. And then it's going to be my job to kind of source it up and figure out how to like turn it into you know, a great meal. And realistically to make it all consistent and feel solid you're probably going to have to write some glue code in between all these things yeah like we own the you know the the vs code and jest integration we wrote the facebook's relay and typescript integration we wrote the first react native and typescript implementation and like all of those are like saying these are things that we care about in the sort of small like ethereal senses but when we kind of bring it together and call it the Artsio Mikaze, then we care about all these pieces coming together and working consistently. And our ideal state is that, you know, one or two of us can care about making sure all these tools are working great. And everyone else just comes in and is like, wait, well, TypeScript's told me that I can do this. So this is the only kind of code I can write. And, you know, Relay says this is the only API data I have available. So may as well just use that. And it kind of creates this really tight feedback loop that doesn't really, that allows for a lot of consistency among React Native and Native code that like, just couldn't have existed any other way. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, do you want to just explain the idea of Omakaze real quick? I know that a lot of it comes out of uh, DHH. And... Sure. Omakaze is a Japanese word for the chef decides. So, uh, the, the the reason that like we Rubyists know about it is because DHH, who's the author of Rails, basically says that yes, you can you can use any kind of stack that you'd like, but if you use Rails, then what you're getting is a set of dependencies that we like you know base camp that um, have kind of collected together, said, made sure that they work like independently, and also like work as a very cohesive set. Right. And you know that's because they are the ones writing the glue code between each each dependency and consolidating it together to create the Rails experience. So if you know how to use Rails, then you can basically work on almost any 
Rails app. In right. theory, if you knew if you knew the artsy omakase, you'd be able to work on any artsy omakase app. We just don't have a cool name like Rails for it. But the idea being that there are so many different dependencies that you can choose from out in the JavaScript ecosystem to build anything on. So if you want something that a team of like smart engineers have spent a very long time documenting and building and thinking about, then these could be your defaults and you can choose to def, you know, deviate from them at different places, but that because everything is open, you can just go and look at how all this stuff works. Yeah. So we need a cool name for it. Yeah, so, there we go. <laughs> someone was debating we just call it Ohm, like the artsy Ohm stack as a reference to Omakaze, and it's like very chill and that we have a kind of zen, yeah. relaxing vibe to it all. Yeah, you just have to be careful not to overlap because there's a closure script library called Ohm. Well, Fabulous. So. And we have an artsy project called Ohm too. So it's it's yeah, it's definitely nice. uh, taken. Yeah. But I don't know. I think I think the, there's 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 definitely space in the community for someone for people to come in and say this is a curated set of things. I feel like in the sort of React community, there's uh, create React app, which is basically you know Facebook saying here is a complete set of dependencies. You don't even know most of them exist because all you need to think about is I put yeah. some React in this place and things will come together. Yeah, absolutely. So what's what's been your favorite thing to work on over the years? I mean, has it been CocoaPods? Has it been this artsy omakase stack, React Native? Yeah, Where, where's kind of your passion been? Yeah, that's a great question. I, part of that's always been driven by a desire to work on impactful things. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my initial work at Artsy was like, you know, scoped to the size of Artsy. So when you're working in a small startup, then the biggest impact you can possibly have is the same size of that startup's impact. Mm -hmm. And when you build, when you work on a smallish aspect of a large startup, then that also scopes your impact even more. Um, so I opted for the opposite approach in my open source, which is, I can work on a dependency manager used by like 80% of all iOS apps and also then work at a small startup to try and like make those two things balance right. each other out. So CocoaPods is definitely one of the most gratifying pieces of work that I've ever like done. And I still like work to maintain it and make sure it doesn't fall over. But like it got a little bit soured when Apple released their own dependency manager. Like I kind of always wanted them to do that. Right. But they didn't actually replace it they only deprecated it so nobody can use apple's version of like CocoaPods for building ios apps you can only build it for building swift servers i know that no makes me sad <laughs> and this is three years down the line this isn't like you know it came out last like a few years ago no it is it came out a few years ago so it's like it stopped being valuable for me to work on it because like, you know, there'll definitely be people using it, but it'll only be like diminishing gains over time. So from there, I, I picked up my second biggest idea, right? Like, that turned into Danger. And for people that don't know what Danger is, it's a tool that kind of automates CI feedback uh, through, like, GitHub or Bitbucket and generally runs on your CI, can send a message back up to your PR saying, oh, you forgot to do this, or you said that you would do this, or 
when you change this file, then you said that you would do something else. Danger has no opinion on what your project should do, but gives you the ability to make a choice. Um, so like the React team use it to uh, make sure that if you add like new code to React, then it doesn't increase the bundle size too much. And if it does, send some feedback. Right. React Native, do it to make sure that you update documentation in the right places when you make certain file changes. So it's used by a bunch of big projects to sort of solve a lot of these kind of we are only five people and millions of people actually use my software sort of problems, right. which is basically my life when I was working on CocoaPods. So those are the two biggest. And it's funny because like Danger got rewrote, rewrote completely from scratch, from Ruby into JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And it's rare that I've, I've never rewritten a project from scratch. Like I've just never, I don't believe in rewrites. I believe in incremental evolution. Mm -hmm. um, but I just couldn't make this work. And the really cool thing about that was that I could, I was coming at the same problem, but with a completely fresh perspective of like what constraints I could apply this time that could allow it to scale even better. Mm -hmm. And so that's just been like maybe two to three years of my life now. And it's been super amazing because there's just so much space for exploration in the, I want to automate these parts of my culture that I still keep getting like fresh new ideas on how to apply like danger and its successor in different contexts. Cool. So what do you spend most of your time working on now? Well, I just finished running a React Native conference in London. So I, I declared to myself that I would take a month off of doing like spare time open source work and finally make it to the gym and try and get a schedule on that. So I'm working on sculpting myself, man. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but I'm really like, the my mind is still always stuck on this idea that if Danger runs on CI, what happens if it doesn't run on CI? And instead, it runs on a server and can hook into not just pull requests, but any kind of webhook from GitHub. Mm -hmm. And that's a thing called Peril. And the, the, the sort of scope of ideas that I, I can see from Peril is just so big that like, I struggle to not think about it a lot of the time. Right. And it's just like, how many things could just be easily automated from any GitHub webhook? Just as like, there's just so many infinite spaces for trying to fix like cultural problems, and I know that like that that is basically my focus because it's you know artsy we're we're growing. Shout out to anybody looking for jobs and like growing it. Like we've been the same dev team for roughly three or four years, and introducing new people means like onboarding and means like trying to find these things that were implicit and try and make them more explicit so people actually understand why we made these kind of decisions. And like danger and peril are like really useful tools in that. Very cool. So where do people find peril? So peril's on GitHub. It's, uh, I have the domain peril.systems for like the user facing stuff. But uh, the right now all of that's just github.com slash danger slash peril and it yeah it's a fascinating read there's there's a bunch of documentation on it i've spent a few iterations just doing documentation recently to make it so that i can understand it if i come back in like a month's time and i've forgotten all of the internal context about why i made decisions 
plus a lot of people are using it. I think the Apollo team are now starting to use uh, Parallel in a lot of their own projects because, again, they have that problem of tons of people use their software and they're only a smallish set of team. Cool. So uh, one last question. If people want to see what you're working on these days, I'm assuming you have a blog or on GitHub, that kind of stuff. Where, where do they find all that stuff? Sure. I have like a <laughs> two or three year out of date uh, website that's auto.io. But realistically, like follow me on Twitter. I'm very quiet. I generally only tweet about things that are like usually new releases or retweet someone else's interesting like javascript doohickey because i'm always positive is my rule of thumb on the internet right <laughs> um, so i think that there's i think following me on twitter is definitely the most fun way to, to to keep up to date i have quite a few github followers which i'm never sure what people do with that because it's just a stream of my work work but yeah hey, if that's if that's your bag then I'm go ahead to I'm auto on everything. It's the convenient thing of having a weirdish front name, uh, first name. Nice. Yeah, I think it's like Opti Grim is Opti everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. And like you have to find a unique handle, and that's really hard. Like this far down into the internet. Yep, that's true. Well. This has been really fun just to talk and hear your thoughts about a lot of this stuff. Do you have any picks, anything you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I always love to make sure that everyone in the world knows about Prettier. It's a JavaScript like, formatting tool. Uh-huh. Like, I think one of the things that it's done such a great job of is just knocking off a good ton of like discussions from pull requests and things like that. Yeah. No one ever argues about formatting anymore. And that just removes an entire like focal point of conversation that just shouldn't really exist in my opinion. So everybody should be using Prettier. I don't care too strongly about your settings, but I care about the idea. Right. Cool. I'm going to do a couple of shout outs here. Uh, The first one, my wife was watching a special from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and it was uh, show tunes. And they had uh, Oscar Hammerstein III, who was from Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, they write musicals. It was uh, Hammerstein's grandson. And he was talking about some of the stories behind some of their, some of their different 
yeah, some of the musicals and some of the music there. And anyway, it was really great. And she figured out that I had never seen South Pacific, which is one of the musicals. So uh, we rented it on iTunes and watched it. That was pretty fun. Awesome. So I'm going to pick that. One other thing, I've been working on this book and video series on how to find a job. I get asked about this all the time. Yeah. And it's usually newer folks, and they're either you know recent boot camp grads or they've gotten their first job through some you know influence of somebody else, and they don't know how to do a job search. Yeah. Or the last one is they may be somewhat experienced folks, but they live in some remote area that doesn't have a large tech community, right? Yeah. So they're not quite sure how to execute a job search where they can't just like show up and get to know people. Yeah. And so anyway, so I've been working on that and I'm doing a pre-sale. So if you find yourself in any of those camps and you need some help, um, go sign up for the pre-sale and you'll kind of get it dripped out to you as I get it done. But it will be completely released by Labor Day. So if you're in the U.S., you know Labor Day is the first Monday in September. And if you're not, now you know. So anyway, uh, that's what we're doing. So just go to devchat.tv slash, I think it's courses or shop. I can't remember. But if you go to devchat.tv and just click on the, the products or store or whatever, you'll get it there. Or you, if you go to uh, getacoderjob.com, uh, that'll take you to the right place. And you can either get the ebook or the video course or both. So, you know, what, whatever that winds up being for you, you know, I'm hoping I can help you out, get, get you in a better position than where you're at. That's and then I'm also, nice, thanks. Then I'm also uh, going to be speaking at the Framework Summit, which is JavaScript-focused, and they're having all the members of the core team come and speak from a lot of different um, frameworks. I'm going to be speaking briefly about stimulus. So if you're interested in that, you can come check it out. And if not, just let me know you're going to be there, and we'll hang out. Park City's a fun town. So anyway, those are my picks. Thanks for coming, Morta. Thanks. Uh, wait, so you're going to be in New York City? I might. In November, I might. Usually, Microsoft has me come out for Microsoft so, Connect. Ah, uh, yes. And that's cool. usually done in um, in New York City. But uh, Framework Summit's going to be in Park City. Uh, okay. Park City, Utah. So. Well, when you come to New York, we should go for drinks. Sounds good. All right. Well... Let's wrap this one up and we will catch you all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.